Deuteronomy chapter 17. I thought Deuteronomy would be a book that we would just kind of blow through. I've got mired down. <laughs> but, but it's good. Great book. Moses, by God's instruction, tells Israel how to give and how to sacrifice to him. Israel, uh, like any other people or nation, they had a tendency to give God the things that were in excess or that maybe they didn't need or things that were no longer wanted. Even things that were perhaps flawed, as in uh, the sacrifice animals. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 17. We'll read the first 13 verses. God's real plain here. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within uh, any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God, in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or moon or the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out <clears throat> to your gates the man or woman who has committed this wicked thing, and you shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Sort of severe. Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall rise and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall come to the priest and the Levites to judge there in those days and inquire of them, and they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which the Lord pronounces upon you in that place which the Lord chooses, and you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God, or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. Jesus, the sacrifice 
for man's sin was a perfect sacrifice. No flaws, no guilt of sin whatsoever. And Jesus went to the cross to be sacrificed for our sins, and he himself having never sinned. If you're like me, sometimes I feel like half of my prayer life is repenting of sin. I cannot imagine, I cannot even fathom having never sinned. To have never known the guilt of sin, to never have been separated from God because of my sin is unimaginable to me. Maybe you're doing better than me. We can look upon a small child and say how innocent they are. But they're really not innocent because they were born into sin. They are simply little sinners. Cute, but they're still sinners. And you don't have to teach a child to be selfish. It kind of comes about by their fallen nature. And if you want to see human nature at its worst, put one cookie on a table and seat two toddlers at the table. They will virtually kill each other for that cookie. We work with our children, trying to teach them to share, trying to teach them to tell the truth, trying to tell them that hitting is wrong and these kind of things. And basically we're telling them not to sin. But we should listen to Jesus, the words of Jesus, as he chastised religious leaders in his day. Let me read you a passage. You don't have to turn to this one. I'll, I'll get you to turn to something a little later. But John eight forty two through 47, Jesus said to them, the religious leader, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God, nor have I come of myself. God sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies." But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Then Jesus asked him a question. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So much for public relationships between Jesus and the religious leaders. He told them like it was. Jesus has told these religious leaders, you're not only sinful, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> I don't quite have that boldness. <laughs> and Jesus adds, nor can any of you who claim to be righteous convict me of any sin. 
When Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin, they call forth witnesses to accuse Jesus of sin, but their attempts sadly failed. They were miserably bad in their accusations of Jesus. No one could ever accuse Jesus rightly of sin. Scripture is is adamant about how Jesus was the perfect sinless sacrifice. Therefore, God requires Israel and their sacrifices to be made to him, and that sacrifice is not to have a spot or a blemish because if it was flawed in any way, it was not an acceptable sacrifice. You could bring a sheep as an offering to God that had blemishes and defects. That sheep was rejected. The priest would reject that uh, sheep because the lamb had to be perfect. And today, in God's church, let me just say this. This is me. (laughs) It's not a thrift store. We're not the Salvation Army. Okay? We're not to bring our worn-out, used household goods and give them to God. We're not. God wants our best, not our leftovers. And in Malachi 1.8, the prophet says, When you offer God the blind, the lame, or sick animal, is that not evil? It's evil. You would not dare offer these animals to your governor. And so Malachi makes a a parallel uh, demonstration there. You are offering to God things that you wouldn't dare offer to someone in authority over you. Now, let me try to bring this down to us. I have some cows. You'd love for me to talk about my cows, don't you? And one of my heifers, female cow, only produces boy babies. I want female calves they reproduce. Therefore, if this heifer continues to produce male calves, I'm going to sell her. I'm going to call her out. I'm going to get rid of her. But I won't offer her to God (laughs) because to me, she's flawed if she only produces boy babies. And God is saying to Israel, don't give me your flawed or defective animals. Give me your best. There's a great lesson in that, giving God our best. We're to give God the best we have, not what's left over, not what's flawed, but give our best because God gave us his perfect son. Dare we give him our second best? And in verse 3 of chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, God required his people to serve and worship him and him alone as their God. Worship of false gods, such as the sun, the S-U-N sun, the moon, 
or the worship of Mother Nature. God looked upon that as an abomination. He says, you don't do it. And when a person was found worshiping these false gods, that person, as we read, was to be stoned to death. Harsh judgment. But God wants his people true to him. He wants you and I loyal to him. Israel, at this time, had an immigration policy. You worship the living and true God or you depart from our country. And if you refuse to depart, you risk being stoned to death if we find you worshiping another God. Wow. Today, Europe is in the middle of a crisis of refugees flooding their countries. We here in the United States, we face many illegal uh, entries into our country all the time. And it's a big political nightmare. But we never hear or of a free nation like ourselves, if you come into our country, you must worship our God. But God requires that in Israel. If you want to be an Israelite, if you want to be part of that country, you had to worship the living God. No exceptions. We see the Muslim world today, and they do not hesitate, not for a moment, to require the people of their country to obey what they call Shi'ira law. They openly declare, be a Muslim or suffer the consequences. Now, I'm just saying. There's a lady here that says that a lot. I'm just saying. In fact, here in the United States, we give more rights to false religions than to Christian citizens. Christian citizens that are already living here don't have as many rights as aliens that come in. And you can be arrested right here in the United States for what is called hate crimes for simply obeying God's word over the laws of the land. Our politicians now pass laws that are contrary to God's law. I'm just saying. <laughs> Perhaps in our next election, Christians will get out and vote. I sure hope we do. We still have that right. We want to exercise that right. And if you're not voting, then we don't have any right to complain about our rights being stripped away from us. Let me now read Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and say, I, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, 
You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. And you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart be turned away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits at on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, and he and his children in the midst of Israel. God, through Moses, is telling Israel what their future will be. When you come into the land, right now they're still outside of Canaan, but when you come into the land and when you take ownership of Canaan, sooner or later you're going to ask me for a king just like the other nations around you have. And when this happens, you make sure that king is of my choosings. Israel's kings, their basic requirement, they had to be an Israelite not a foreigner. Israel king had to be one of their own to rule over them. Imagine that. Verse 16, the kings are forbidden by God to multiply horses for themselves because God does not want his people trusting in military might and horses were a symbol of military might. And God didn't want his people to go back to Egypt to get these horses. In verse 17, nor is the king to multiply wives, lest his heart turn away from God. And then he talks about wealth. You're not to use your position as king to multiply silver and gold for yourself. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 4, verse 6, we read of Solomon having 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. That might be considered adding horses. Solomon, he's the third king of Israel, and he has greatly multiplied horses, wives, and wealth. And there's a great danger when we disobey God's direct commands. And that applies to you if you're a king or if you're a slave. Do not disobey God. God in his mercy, God in his grace does not always instantly judge or chastise us for our sins of disobedience. And we can begin to think, that our disobedience is being overlooked by God or even sanctioned by God 
because there isn't instant judgment. We can actually begin to think, God is overlooking my sin simply because God is patient. Our God is long-suffering, and I greatly appreciate that in my own life. And he desires that we turn and repent of disobedience. God had a standard for the people of Israel, and God had a standard for the kings of Israel. In 1 Kings 11, 1 through 11, you may want to turn to this. We will now read of Solomon's disobedience. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabite, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives. 700. That's not a misprint. 700. Princes and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. For it was when Solomon was old that his wife turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not follow, fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place in Shemas, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all the foreign wives who burn incense and sacrifices to their God. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because of his hard heart that had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my commandment and my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Verse 2, notice God not only forbids the kings of Israel from intermarrying from all these different uh, pagan people, uh, but all of the people were to not intermarry. Don't any of my people take these foreign wives? And Solomon, he not only added wives, he added concubines, and he had over a thousand in total. And his wives turned away his heart from God. Now, you know and I know it can be difficult to be intimate with one person, with one spouse. And to be intimate and loving to a thousand, impossible. 
And verse 2 says, Solomon clung to all these wives in love. I think scripture is trying to be sarcastic there. Let's get real for a moment. Solomon could not even remember all the names of his wives and concubines. Yet we hear his claim, I love them. Come here, number 486. By the way, what's your name, sweetie? Now give old Solomon a big hug. Come on, let's get real. (laughs) It would take Solomon over three years to be intimate with each wife and concubine. Three years. More than likely, Solomon was never intimate with most of his wives. Verse 4, when Solomon was old, these wives turned his heart after other gods, just like God said it would happen. And we read that Solomon was no longer loyal to the Lord his God. And God looked upon this as being very evil. Verse 11 of chapter 11 of 1 Kings sums up Solomon's life. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and not kept my covenant and my statutes, as I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Solomon's end was to have God tear away his glory and his kingdom from him. Not only is Solomon guilty of disobedience, Solomon failed as king to write the laws and the statutes that God had commanded him in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 17 of Deuteronomy. God says, do this. Write down the laws. Study my laws. Study my statutes. For the laws and statutes of God will bring about a fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. God will lead us in wisdom. And our hearts will be loyal to God if we will stay in his word. Solomon was completely disobedient in adding horses, wives, and wealth. But yet he was considered by men to be the wisest man ever. But he was very foolish towards his Lord and God. As God's people, we learn from the examples, primarily in the Old Testament, of disobedience. We learn from the kings of Israel And in this case, we should learn from Solomon, who was considered wise. But Solomon's end appears to be disastrous because he was completely disobedient. And his wives turned his heart away from God. And to God, that was evil. Stay true to your Lord and God. At all costs. And we live in a world now where 
being a Christian is looked upon as perhaps being at best naive. Stay true. Stay loyal to your God. And he will reward you openly. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, we ask that you would put a heart within us that would respond to yourself. Lord, many times we don't consider the, to full extent what our actions will bring about. But Lord, we read about Solomon and we read how his heart was turned uh, against you because of adding all these wives and concubines and wealth and horses and all this, Lord. And we don't want to do that. We want to be true. We want to be loyal to you, our Lord and our God. You have shown us, Lord, time and again that following after you is the right thing to do. And we want to do the right thing out of our love for you, Lord. So help us. And Lord, we live in troubling days where we see the world going after so many different things. Horses, wealth, love affairs, all these different things, Lord, and we don't want to join them. We want to be a people that are separated unto you, Lord. So help us. Keep our hearts true and loyal to you, Lord. That's our prayer. That's our request. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.